Welcome to the Point is to Serve podcast series. We exist to encourage you towards a vibrant and active faith in Jesus Christ. For more information about the Point is to Serve ministry, visit our website at thepointistoserve.org. Now let's join Pastor Alan Kiesbo for this week's teaching. A couple things I'd like to say before we get into the sermon. One, happy Father's Day. Like Mother's Day, Father's Day can be a, a great time of celebrating, being thankful to God uh, for the fathers that God has placed in our lives. And for others, Father's Day is a very hurtful time. I would just want to remind you that Father's Day is like so many things. Uh, it points to God, the Father, who loves us and has never abandoned us and always been with us. So I hope you have a happy Father's Day and that you'll be thankful to God, the giver of all good gifts. Second... Uh, as we anticipate July 5th and we move together and we have the chance to be together again, just so many words of thanks for uh, last March when we thought, let's go online, had no idea what to expect. And I want to thank Joel for his leadership. We met at the vision team and we made that decision. In the midst of, there is no perfect solution. It is just a hard choice either way and whenever we open. And Joel did a great job leading the vision team uh, last Sunday night as we struggled with this decision. So I appreciate his leadership in this congregation. Uh, for the worship and the tech team, this has been demanding for these people. And they have given their best shot. So John, thank you for your leadership and for each person has done so much to to not just put something on the internet, but put something on that all of us can be proud of, that when people see it, they'll be drawn to God. So thank you. And as we move back together, I just pray that we can do it responsibly and that God will continue to use what happens online. This morning, we continue in the series called God Is. And this morning, we're talking about God is Creator. Thursday, I had the chance to be with my two grandchildren who live in Sioux Falls. While Henry, the two-year-old, was finishing his nap, I said to my four-year-old granddaughter, let's make something elaborate in the kitchen. Let's, let's make a dessert. <clears throat> she looked at me, and she has this intense response. Grandpa, you can't make. What? How insulting. How heartbreaking that was to me. So I marched her into the kitchen. We got out the marshmallows and the Rice Krispies. We even had M&M minis and chocolate chips. And we made Rice Krispie bars together to prove that Grandpa can <laughs> make. As you think about creation, it's a wonderful reminder that everything that we see is a testament to God's faithfulness. And this morning, I would like to read John 1 from the Gospel of John 1, 1 to 14. John starts his story of Jesus in a very interesting way, much different than the other three Gospels that are called synoptic. They look alike. The Gospel of John stands apart, partly because John was a person who had <clears throat> a rich heritage in the Jewish tradition. But as he writes this, he is now in the Greek and Roman culture. And he knew that as he writes this letter about this amazing Savior who came, that he would hope that all the world would believe in the Savior. He has a dilemma. If you write strictly from the Hebrew tradition, he'll alienate the Greek and the Jewish, uh, Greek and the Roman culture. And if he writes just for the Greek and Roman culture, he'll alienate the Jewish culture. So what is the way that he can write in a way that both will be drawn into the story? 
both groups will come together and, and pursue who this is, this Savior, that they might believe. He comes across this word that has meaning in both cultures. The word is logos. In the Hebrew word, it is the word. And in this context, John talks about the word of God. And then the Hebrew people understood and treasured that. When Jesus came, there had been 400 years where there was no word from God. They hungered for that. The word of God would come and live amongst them again, that the, the prophets or the priests would speak for God, and they hungered for this word. This same word in Greek, logos, meant for the Greek and Roman culture, the orderliness or the structure of God. For the Greek and the Roman people who loved Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, they understood that God was the one who created the order in the world, that the sun comes up, it goes down. The moon comes up full and then over a course of the month disappears and then comes back full. They looked around the world and they saw the order of God and they longed to move towards this God who would create order and structure in the world and in their life. So John writes the Gospel of John. He starts with this idea that has powerful imagery for all these cultures. The Hebrews would receive it because it talked about the Word of God. The Greek and Roman would receive it because they looked around and saw the structure and the order of God, or the Word of God and the structure and order of God. And so he writes this as the introduction to the Gospel of John. John 1, 1, 14, uh, 1 through 14. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was God, and the Word was with God. He existed in the beginning with God. He, God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light, the one who is the true light, who gives life to, to light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into this very world he created, and the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believe him and accepted him, he gave them the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. Eugene Peterson in the message says, he moved into the neighborhood. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of God of the Father's one and only Son. John wants to start the story of Jesus with this reminder. When you look around and see the order and the structure of God, that means God is with us. He's moved into the neighborhood. For the Hebrew people who hungered for the word of God, they saw now Jesus, or would come to see Jesus with John's hope and prayer. as the word of God speaking to us today. The creator God, John says, created everything we see and more. 
There's a lot of these baking shows, right, that are out, and we call them creators. But they are more really gatherer and ingredients, right? Because when God creates, he creates out of this Latin term called ex nihilo. When God creates everything that we see, he didn't go out and gather his ingredients. He simply spoke. And this word of God has a power to create not only substance, but order. That he created a universe and a world that was just filled with systems that we could understand and predict. And as we see that, we see God at work. The word creates. If you're familiar with the Genesis story, how does God create the world? He spoke. Let there be light. Let there be the separation between the skies and the earth. Let there be creatures, every kind of living creature. Let there be plants. As God's word speaks, things that did not exist come into being. In Romans 1.20 and Psalms 8, these authors talk about the purpose of creation. That when we look at this creation, our hearts should be drawn to this God who is the order and the word of God. That out of nothing, we can celebrate that God can create something of substance. God creates with the word all that we see, but then he, he makes it more personal. He gathers ingredients and he makes humanity. But then he bends over this creation and breathes his life, his spirit, into this creation. I think that's a reflection of the phrase in Genesis where it says, we were created in the image of God, that he cr God created male and female. Together he created them and made them in his image. We sometimes want to repay that gift <laughs> and make God in our own image. And I would want to remind us that while we have the image of God, we do not even begin to understand who this creator God is and what God the creator does for us. But in this creation that happens so simply, he speaks and it happens, he bends over and he breathes life into humanity. The thing that we don't see unless we're looking for it in this creation, God also creates shalom. That's the Hebrew word for what the Greek and the Roman culture would call disorder. That there was a creation that was in peace with one another. The environment, the animals, and humanity all were living together, and God was a part of that. We saw humanity walking with God. That the creator and the created were connected. And the Hebrew mind calls this shalom. That the creator of God not only created things, set it in motion and walked away, but God was engaged in it. Not just that there would be things that lived separately, but that through the Spirit of God at work in us and through us, that creation would have shalom, peace with one another and with God. And then you know the story, probably. Humanity says, we've got it from here, God. <laughs> we'll take it. Thank you. You did a good job. We're just going to improve on it. And humanity makes a terrible choice of saying, God, we will do it our way. And in Genesis, not only do we see the creation, we see God's commitment to the recreation. That while God created, he's also recreating. 
in our lives, we've had the opportunity to create in housing projects <laughs> and recreate. When I've done creation, I've had the chance to hire people to do the things they don't do very well, which makes it go very, very, very much better. There are things called straight walls, flat items that I then get to build and make it my piece, but creating new is often invigorating and, and easier. In the recreation stories, I have scars to show from them. In Minneapolis, we bought a home that was 100 years old. So what in Minnesota if it didn't have furnaces? We can fix that. And Denise and I jumped off the effort, off the <laughs> deep end, to recreate a house that one day had been part of a wealthy part of North Minneapolis. And now, 100 years later, it was in a terrible place. And as we recreated it and poured ourselves into it, we've got stories of success and, and like I said, a couple scars from two trips to the hospital. Uh, and in that recreation part, we see the cost of recreating. And I am so thankful that God didn't just create and walk away, but God created and now is committed to recreating. The Gospel of John talks about he creates light in the darkness. That when we would look around and we see, oh, everything just seems so dark and so frightening. We don't know when the coronavirus will end. We, will, we don't really know the outcome of all the civil unrest. And it just seems so dark. The recreating God says, I am still engaged in this creation. I'm still investing. And while creation took God simply to speak the words, <laughs> recreation required God to send this word into this world, into this neighborhood, to live and to love and to ultimately give away his life through the death on the cross. That while creation is simple, recreation is costly. And in this recreation, we hear about this story of this new covenant of grace. That even though creation has failed at its assignment of living in shalom, the creator God recreates daily this invitation to move into this God through the covenant of grace. We have a God who has created us, and if you feel distance from this God, understand he is present in your life to, con to continue the recreation of it. God invites us into this recreation story. The creator God says, come and be partners with me in this process. We are today, in a sense, the John the Baptist in this story. The person who says, I'm not the light. <laughs> don't, don't look at me for the solutions. But I know someone who is the light. I know someone who can help us in this situation. I know that someone who can come and take your chaos and speak into it because he's a paid a price. You, you can be recreated. Their recreation is much like a birthing process. I've never talked to an expectant mother saying, are you excited about the pain? <laughs> Not so much, but they are excited about what follows and comes out of this painful process. As a church, that means personally we spread out after we gather or are gathering, and we speak about this God and saying there is recreation on the horizon. And let us be people who believe in this. This happens as Micah 6, 8 says, as we seek justice... Love mercy, 
Walk humbly with our God. We are a congregation who loves mercy. I am so thankful. And when we start meeting together, I know that I can invite anybody I meet into this community and they will help you and welcome you and be with you. As we serve, we splash mercy all over the place because we understand how merciful God has been to us. We are a congregation who walks humbly <laughs> with our God. We don't pat ourselves on the back. We don't try to make, have everybody look at us. We just try to be faithful in what it means to walk humbly with God and to invite one another into this. I am so thankful that we are a church that loves mercy and walks humbly with God. But Micah also says we need to act justly. While mercy is something that is offered as a gift, justice is, is bigger than that in that it says, how can we change systems? How can we change institutions? A few years ago, we offered a civil rights trip that we could not make work. We could not get everybody's schedules together, but I wish we could have done that. My daughter Emily had brought us into that conversation as we w went with her down to the civil rights uh, path and we were so transformed in this process because I didn't know what I didn't know. I grew up in a family that had it all figured out. <laughs> My father uh, taught me well about what civil rights was but he didn't teach me right. He told me all about Martin Luther King. He told me about Desmond Tutu and and uh, my good friend from South Africa, er, Mandela, Nelson Mandela. <laughs> and I grew up thinking they were wrong. They were missing it. And I never, I, I learned to kind of challenge that a little bit, but never really understood it until I walked the civil rights path. Last spring, we had the chance to go to South Africa and have a, a walking tour with a person who was so passionate about what apartheid had done and the damage and the hope for res restoration that they are still in. But I still struggle. I still think I understand it, but I still have my bias that I, I don't understand. For example, I found myself thinking, I don't mind if they protest and don't destroy anything. If, if they just protest, that is fine. I can support that. But this week I was kind of convicted by my hypocrisy. Because in 2016, when Colin Kaepernick protested quietly, now mind you, he's a 49er and I'm a Packer fan, and I still have a lot of issues with Colin Kaepernick because he crushed the Packers in the playoffs. But when he knelt to protest police violence against people of color, I didn't like it. I didn't support it. And how easy it is to say one thing and really mean another. How about you? How are you doing in these days of civil unrest? Can you understand the depth of the problem? I hope someday we'll get to do about five or six days in the, in the civil rights trail together. There are things we will experience that we can never begin to understand in South Dakota. And let me add in South Dakota, we have to include our Native American brothers and sisters in this trauma. We have a broken world. And 
as I've learned even more in this recent era, the History Channel had a three-part series on Grant, President Grant, and I tried to read the book. <laughs> it's a big book. And I eventually gave up. Too much geography. And, but in this History Channel presentation, the, the, third, uh, the third series was about Grant, President Grant as a civil rights president. I didn't know that. I didn't understand that. And while Grant didn't change his mission, the nation didn't have a heart for it. And then the civil rights in the 60s, the nation moved towards progress, and then it was, there were things, significant things that happened, but we just haven't done what God has called us to do. So it looks like we're on a strike three option here. And the church in the first two were absent. I believe as people who believe in the recreation, the people who are the Psalms 8, we, we point to God, the Romans 1, 20, that says, how do we know there's God? Because we embody who God is in this world. We need to be people who learn more. So here are two choices. You could go with me for six or seven days <laughs> down into Tennessee and Alabama and Mississippi and Atlanta or uh, Georgia or here is the best resource I just believe you have to listen to it is 17 minutes would you invest 17 minutes in learning more about what's going on in our world if you know veggie tales you have seen the work of a man named by Phil Vischer he has a blog or a video blog called the Holy Post race in America in 17 minutes, and let me say, you don't even have to agree with them, but 17 minutes, you need to listen to this. If you can't find that, go on. If you're fen friends with me, you can go on my Facebook. You'll see where I have shared that with me. The church needs to be God's recreating agent, and we have an opportunity ahead of us. Let's not miss it. We do love, we, we do mercy so well. We do humbly with walking humbly with God so well. But let us be courageous and act justly. As we think of God the creator, I thought of a story that my pastor shared when I was a kid that struck with me that I'd just been aching for years to tell this story. So you are lucky today. You get to hear this story. He told this story about this little boy who loved ships, who loved sailing vessels. And so he started doing projects and, uh, and things to raise money. And then when he had enough money, he went to the toy store and he bought this big sailing boat that he would have to put together and, and paint and put on the sails. And, and then you could put a rope on it and you could take it to the lake and, and then you could sail the ship. And so he did that. He, he bought this and he, he worked on it for hours and hours and hours, making it just perfect. And he painted it and he put up the sails and put a string on it and then one day went to the lake. He put it into the water and, and let out line. And then this rogue wind came and blew it away, broke the string. He was heartbroken as he saw his boat sail away. Well, a few months later, he's walking past a uh, secondhand store, and he sees in the window his boat. Somebody had found it. So he goes in and he tells the store owner, can, can I have my boat back? And the guy said, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. And he told him how he had made it, and the guy just didn't believe him. But he said, this is what I will do. I'll take it out of the window, I'll put it in storage, and then if you make enough money, you can come back and buy it. Is that fair? And he reluctantly said, yeah, yeah, that, okay, that's okay. And so this poor little boy goes out and mows lawns, 
does chores, everything he can to raise money so that he could have his boat again. And when he finally gets it, he goes back to the toy store and he proudly gives the guy the money and he gets the boat. And as he walks out, he says, you are mine twice. I made you and I bought you. I purchased you. When you think of the creator God, <laughs> there are days when the rogue wind blows us away. <laughs> when we say, God, I've got this. I'm going to go this way. And the creator God is always close saying, ah, you are mine twice. I created you and I purchased you. May we be people who are agents of this creating and recreating God. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you that you are a creator, God, who is engaged with your creation. That you are a God who loves us and restores us. And, and then you share with us this partnership of being creators in this chaotic world. God, we love you, and sometimes it is just hard to know what is right. So God, as we reflect on you and your example of how you brought order and your word into this world, God, may we be people of, of the recreation. And God, would you speak to us? Would you guide us? Would you give us a voice, even when it seems nobody's listening, that we might be people who can add, add to your story in this time? And God, I pray for the church across the world. God, that we would be people who seek justice, love mercy, and who walk humbly with you. And God, you would give us a path through this process. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Point is to Serve podcast series. For more information about pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ or information about the Point is to Serve ministry, visit our website at thepointistoserve.org. Thank you and God bless.